Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9, Psalm 89, verses 20 through 29, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38, and Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. If you turn on the TV for any length of time today, you are likely to see an insurance ad. Geico, Progressive, State Farm, Liberty Mutual, and Allstate all run lots of commercials. I'm sure you've heard State Farm's tagline, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Or then Allstate's tagline is, you're in good hands with Allstate. Sorry, I can't do the voice. These are simple examples of ancient rhetoric that we still use today. Advertising companies are paid the big bucks for coming up for, with ways to make people trust their brands. This is called ethos. It's all about a person or company gaining the trust of an audience because of who they are. Ethos has run amok in politics over the last several years with two, the two major parties splitting not just over issues, but also over their sources of news. Depending on your party affiliation, you likely trust one source of news more than another. It's not about preference, it's trust in the source. Those who have our trust can easily abuse it. Now in our last week in the book of Isaiah, God himself uses ethos to remind us of his credibility and get our attention. God very much wants us to trust what he has to say about his coming servant. And the fact that he tells us increases his ethos. Isaiah chapter 42 starts off as all good news for us. And by us, I mean anyone who ever read Isaiah's words from the day they are written until today. There's no bad news here. It's all good. And there are no demands placed upon us. God simply wants our trust. And if you have any doubts about just how good the first nine verses of Isaiah chapter 42 are, the next ten verses of the chapter make up a song of praise to God. Clearly, this song of praise is as a result of the wonderful news that we are looking at today. Our society seems to be in short, new, short supply of good news these days, so let's take a few minutes to see what God is telling us. <clears throat> there are three parts to the ethos of Yahweh in today's passage. The first is in verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it, and spirit to those who walk in it. God is reminding us of what he has done and who he is. Here he reminds us that Yahweh is the creator who gave us life. He has also given us eternal spirits. In other words, we owe him everything. Even parents can't claim the same level of ethos with their children. We may have given life to our children, but we don't continue to give them breath. And we don't have anything directly to do with them receiving spirits. God continues his curriculum vitae in verse 8 by reminding us that I am. He was not created. Yahweh has always existed. 
He alone is self-existing. This is the same God who commanded Moses at the burning bush. It is interesting that God goes on to add that my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to graven images. This is the only mention of idols in this passage, though the glory of God is an important theme in Isaiah that appears more times in this Old Testament book than any other save the Psalms. God is reminding us that he alone is worthy of our worship. His glory surpasses all others. We would be foolish to give praise or worship to idols when we owe these things exclusively to God. Verse 9 wraps up God's ethos with a double-sided ethos statement. He says, And new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Yahweh is telling his people he has a wonderful plan for their benefit to be accomplished through the Messiah. God is doing a new thing, ethos. It hasn't happened yet, so you can look forward to it, ethos. The flip side of it is for those of us who live after Christ's coming. What was prophesied did, in fact, come to pass. Ethos. It's one thing for something good to happen. It's something else entirely when someone tells you it's going to happen, and then it does just like they said. God has given us his three-part curriculum vitae to build his ethos in Isaiah 42 for a very important reason. He is now going to tell us about the coming Messiah. We need to believe him. For our own benefit, we don't want to miss his coming. So what does God want us to know about his servant? He will be gentle just, perseverant, and he will succeed in his mission. God is doing something new entirely for our benefit. Let's look at each of these in turn. First, the Messiah will be gentle. Verses 2 and 3 says, He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. God's servant will be so gentle that he won't cry out to grab our attention, nor will he even break a damaged reed or snuff out a candle that's barely burning. In other words, he wouldn't harm a fly. These are all things we would do without much thought. If you, weren't paying, if you want to pay attention, if you want people to pay attention to you, you shout in the streets, right? Isn't that more or less what Jonah did? But God's servant won't do things like that to grab our attention. So we better be watching carefully for his coming. If you are following along in the text in your worship folder, then you know I'm not done yet with verse 3. It continues. He will faithfully bring forth justice. The Messiah is a person of justice. But wait a minute. In a world of injustice... Won't it take force to bring justice? Won't those in power who use their power unjustly resist all efforts to bring justice? Yes, absolutely. 
So how can one who is gentle be a bringer of justice? Because this is spiritual justice. It's not metaphorical. It's very, very real. But it's spiritual justice, which means it doesn't end temporary physical injustice. Spiritual justice is also ultimate justice and permanently dividing faithful from the unfaithful. One day Christ will end all injustice when he comes in power. But for now, we have to understand that God is the judge and his justice will come in his timing, not ours. And because we don't often get to see his justice carried out, this requires faith. We need to lean on God's ethos. The next statement about God's servant is that he will be perseverant in fulfilling his mission. Verse 4 starts with, he will not fail or be discouraged. This, there's more here than meets the eye in English. The Hebrew word that we translate as dimly burning in verse 3 is the same verb that we see here translated as fail or in some versions falter. Also, the verb that was translated as bruised shows up again as discouraged. Without these connections, it would be easy to misunderstand verse 4. Though God's servant will be so gentle as to not snuff out a dimly burning wick, he himself will not burn dimly. Though he would not break a bruised reed, he himself will not be bruised in spirit. The obvious conclusion here is that the Messiah won't give up. He won't be beaten. The slightly less obvious conclusion is that he will face significant opposition. It's not difficult to persevere when no one resists you. As J. Alec Motyer wrote, the pressures and blows that immobilize others will not deter him. Like the heroes in most Hollywood action movies, God's servant will not stop until the job is done, no matter what. After that, the final thing God wants us to know about his servant comes as no surprise. He will succeed. The second part of verse 4 makes that clear. It says he will keep persevering until he has established justice on the earth. There's a repetition of the justice theme showing simply how important this is to God. The final part of verse 4 says, and the coastlands wait for his law. An alternative translation for wait for is put their hope in. Either way, the point is clear that God's law, which is now the Messiah's law, notice verse 4 says his law, will be the desire of the coastlands. The meaning here is that the coastlands are the very farthest reaches of the world. In other words, the Messiah's message and justice will be established around the globe. What amazing success! But the Messiah's message doesn't end at justice. Verses 6 and 7 gives us more details. God's servant will be a covenant to the people and a light to the nations. Covenants were how God related to his people. Less formally, God instructed Adam and Eve and made them promises, which was a form of covenant. 
God made a covenant with Noah to never again destroy the world with a flood. And he marked that covenant with a rainbow. He also made a covenant with Abraham to give him numerous descendants and the land of his own. The covenant with Moses was strictly for the Israelites and centered on obedience to the law. This is the history wrapped up in the word covenant. The Messiah himself will be a new covenant. This is the only time that a covenant has been embodied in a person. God will now relate to his people through his servant. The new covenant fulfills the old covenants, all of them. If you want to come to God, go to Jesus. And this new covenant is for all people. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. The reference to the nations makes it clear that this new thing God is doing excludes no one. Not even the nations threatening Jerusalem during Isaiah's lifetime. The Messiah will be a light for them too. All this is for our benefit. Isaiah already told us that God's servant would bring justice. But in verse 7, he gives us some clues as to just what that justice will look like. The Messiah is coming to open eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The way this is worded, it's clear that this is not promising literal sight to the blind or literal freedom from prison. That makes it all the more ironic that Jesus did, in fact, heal some who were blind. But the purpose behind all this was to free the lost from their spiritual blindness and spiritual dungeon of ignorance regarding faith in Christ. The spiritual restoration is the justice that God's servant would bring, a righting of spiritual wrongs. As I said earlier, God's justice is ultimate justice. But there's also an element of restoring what sin has damaged. The world's sin has blinded and imprisoned people so that they know nothing of God's love. The Messiah came to restore sight by demonstrating God's love to everyone once and for all. And if all that weren't enough, there's one last important piece to the ministry of God's servant that gives us hope. God himself is doing this. God is making this happen. Of course, we know that the Messiah was God incarnate, but that's not revealed in this part of Isaiah, so it's helpful for his audience to understand that the work of God's servant is the work of God himself. Verse 6 is essential to the whole passage, and it is filled with emotion. Or to use another word from ancient rhetoric, pathos. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations. You can see there, verse 6 starts with a brief reminder of who is speaking, touching on Yahweh's ethos again. Verse 6 represents a shift, with God the Father now addressing his servant directly instead of the people. God is acting as a loving father and has taken his servant by the hand. 
This is such an image of gentle love. God is guiding. He is protecting. He will be there every step of the way. The NIV translation of verse 6 says, I will keep you. God will never abandon his servant. He will never walk alone. As God did for the firstborn of creation, so he has done for us. Yahweh takes us by the hand. He keeps us. In the Eucharist, Christ's flesh and blood become the new covenant for us. It is also a reminder that for us to take God's hand again. He is saying to us, here I am. Walk with me. Hold tight so you don't stumble. Allow me to gently guide you. I'm on your side. We're in this together. That's the greatest ethos of all. God is for us. Everything he does is for our benefit. The gentle, just, perseverant, and successful servant came to free us from our spiritual dungeon and redeem us to the Father. God has done this, and he has the final word. So I invite you, come, take the Father's hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.